Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. We are continuing our series entitled Common Christian Problems. And we're in the second part of a series dealing with alcoholism and alcohol abuse, something that touches millions of families throughout the world, right here in the United States, throughout North America. I'd like to begin, as we ended our part one, with a great scripture on probably the balanced approach to alcohol. It's just a great one that you'll find in scripture. It comes from Sirach, chapter 31, starting in verse 25. Do not Aim to be valiant over wine, for wine has destroyed many. Wine is like life to men, if you drink it in moderation. What is life to a man who is without wine? It has been created to make men glad. Wine drunk in season and temperately is rejoicing of heart and gladness of soul. Wine drunk to excess is bitterness of soul with provocation and stumbling. Drunkenness increases the anger of a fool to his injury, reducing his strength and adding wounds. We're going to talk today about the causes of alcoholism and alcohol abuse and some ways of dealing with it and even preventing it. I would say the first cause, it's an acquired habit. It's something that's done too much, too frequently, too excess, and that's why those who are wise and trying to help people over an alcohol problem will say, go to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And what's their slogan? 90 days, 90 meetings. In other words, for three months, you go to a meeting daily. Uh, It took time to develop a habit. It takes time to get over a habit. And Dr. Bill Bullett, who I've interviewed uh, on this show, mentions that for someone with a serious case of alcoholism, that lifelong attendance at AA is necessary. A lot of people say, well, I really don't need that. You know, I had an alcohol problem. Uh, I haven't had to drop to drink in six months, and yet it's fully possible that an alcoholic can go dry for six months and then go right back at it. And that's why he recommends lifelong attendance. The second reason for the causes of alcoholism and alcohol abuse, and now this might sound a little strange, but we are off balance as human beings. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says this in section 377, the mastery over the world that God offered man from the beginning was realized above all within man himself. The first man was unimpaired and ordered in his whole being because he was free from the triple concupiscence that subjugates him to the pleasures of the senses, covetousness for earthly goods, and self-assertion, contrary to the dictates of reason. In other words, we were created 
with balance, and that enabled us to enjoy good things without having to go to excess. Then the Catechism says in section 1811, it is not easy for man wounded by sin to maintain moral balance. And this is what we're saying. This is why I like that Sirach 31 scripture about alcohol so much, because in just a few verses, verses 25 through 30, you have the balance, and as well as you have the excess that leads to trouble. And how do we maintain balance? Well, that's part of our restoration in Christ. That section 1811 goes on to say, Christ's gift of salvation offers us the grace necessary to persevere in the pursuit of the virtues. Now, sometimes the virtues are presented in what, uh, sorry to say this, but a harmful way. If virtue is simply presented as some kind of self-effort, unaided by grace, you're actually putting a person into probably a deeper trap than what they were, because one of the unbalanced things that comes as a result of concupiscence is self-assurance. And so if you're using self to overcome a disordered, unbalanced life, you're actually increasing that. You need to depend on grace. Always ask for grace, the Catechism says, and for strength and frequent the sacraments. Now, you don't go to the sacraments in order to earn brownie points, you go to the sacraments because that's where grace is poured out. You simply go as an empty beggar, say, Lord, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. Sometimes I don't even have the willingness to do what I need to do in this situation. I come before you and asking you to empower me, to fill me with your grace, to give me the gumption and the willingness to do what you've commanded to do. That's how you get moral balance restored in your life as a Christian. It doesn't come overnight, doesn't come at once, but this is what you do. And there are certain situations, certain personalities, and certain persons that have a very difficult time keeping a moral balance when it comes to alcohol. Now, I'll tell you about one person, and that's me. Um, now, I know that you're not supposed to have any problems if you're a public speaker or you speak at Catholic. I'm just teasing. Uh, all of us carry an unbalanced some aspect or aspects of our life. For me, in particular, it's hard liquor. Um, I have a very difficult time keeping balance, or I had, so I just stay away from it completely and have for decades. And therefore, with beer and wine in moderation, I'm able to maintain a balance, but I just stay away from things that throw me off balance that are beyond my control. And this is where you use just some common sense as it applies. You just may not go to certain places. You may not drink certain things in order to maintain your balance. So again, um, acquired habit could be one of the reasons we are off balance. In other words, we take something good like wine, which gladdens the heart of man, makes him glad, and yet 
use it to excess in an unbalanced way. And that's just part of what life post-Genesis chapter 3 is all about. And so you have to, uh, you know, seek God's grace for your balance and certain things where you still struggle with, use some wisdom in what you do and what you don't do. Now, this is a biggie, this next one, number three, as far as what are the causes. And this is so big, and it's very often uh, basically unacknowledged to the degree it should be. And it's this, that an internal wound or a past trauma can cause a person to use alcohol in a way to try to heal that wound or even numb that wound. And it's very interesting, when I was studying a course on helping people overcome a habit of pornography, that it's very common, very common, for people with a pornography habit, I learned, also to have a gambling addiction, a drug addiction, and an alcohol addiction, all of them not just one. In other words, the deeper the wound, very often the underlying fuel pushing that person towards addictions is some kind of very deep internal wound or past trauma that you're trying to medicate it with through a substance or through an activity. I'll just tell you one, it's very common, and the reason we don't talk about it as much today is that we have tried to kind of cover up what some of the consequences may be. And I'm talking about parental divorce. Parental divorce is very hard on a human being, uh, not just a child, uh, adolescence, uh, parental divorce when a young person is at the point of wanting to choose a marriage partner or even a able to choose a marriage partner. I mean, I know of people with uh, alcoholic fathers who just can't do it. They can't bring themselves to do it. There's been so much pain, so much trauma by growing up with an alcoholic father, they just can't see going and trying to start a family of their own. But other things like physical abuse, which is not uncommon. They say one in nine girls in the United States has experience some form of sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, any trauma, um, you know, PTSD, which we know about, particularly those who have been in combat, all of those different type of things may need healing. And if you go to a counselor and if you want to get me kind of riled up, dealing with quite a number of Catholic men who have had pornography addictions, somehow just trying to deal with the pornography or saying, you know, pray more or something. And don't get me wrong, that's a good thing to do is pray more. But to then ignore the inner hurt, the trauma that gave rise to that addiction being something you can't shake, uh, that's where problem comes. And realize also that if you have experienced uh, a trauma, if you've experienced severe inner wounds, then you may want to 
kind of keep your distance from even experimenting with drugs, with uh, perhaps you want to uh, maintain abstinence when it comes to alcohol because it can be quite volatile to you. And let me give you what my um, perfect example of this is, I think. And it's a man I have very high regard for and a man that I, uh, I'm not doing this by way of criticism at all, but I'm talking about a good man by the name of William Bennett. And one of the things he's known for, he wrote that huge 831-page book entitled The Book of Virtues. And yet it came out in national newspapers, I think the New York Times and all these other papers, that William Bennett, the man who wrote The Book of Virtues, had a gambling habit. He was a high roller gambler and he lost, according to at least a couple of magazines, you know, multi-millions of dollars at casinos in the last decade. And it's like, how can a man, you know, so strong in advocating the virtues? Because temperance is one of the virtues. And okay, you you know, small-scale gambling isn't an addiction, but when you start losing big bucks and spending big bucks, then that becomes a habit and an addiction. And it was very interesting hearing one time, I might have been on Catholic radio, Dr. Bennett talking about the string of man, men who came through his family that his mother uh, would either marry or I don't know what the situation was, but it wasn't his father. The man didn't have a father. And that leaves such a deep hole in a child's heart that you have to recognize that that's a wound. And rather than spending thousands, if not millions of dollars gambling, what the need is is to heal the wound and recognize how the wound could be propelling behavior. And that's why uh, I have recommended over and again uh, Dr. Mark Laser as the best counselor for men who are addicted to pornography. And I realize we're on the alcohol topic, but pornography is just as tough or tougher than alcohol when you're talking, counseling people for this. And Dr. Laser, who has now passed away, but his work continues through his clinic in Minnesota, he always wants to go to heal the wounds in order to heal the addiction. And that is so smart. And he has helped Catholic priests who are having problems. He has helped Protestants and Catholics dealing with pornography addictions that were so deep and it was just like they were in handcuffs, couldn't free themselves from it. And it's not just behavioral modification, it's the healing of the wounds. And so if you can discover the wounds, openly admit them, and for some people, the wounds may be so hurtful that never in their life will they even mention it. But through counseling and whatever therapy and maybe uh, some good friends, you're able to actually verbalize those hurts. That's that's step one. And then asking Christ to, after those have been identified, to come in and heal those wounds and taking steps to heal those wounds and recognizing your vulnerabilities because of those wounds 
you're on the road to recovery. So internal internal wounds, number three, are a huge cause of addictions. And an interesting thing, um, Dr. Laser also pointed out that a lot of times that um, a man and a woman, both with internal wounds through different reasons, find each other. And so you have a marriage has problems and you might say, well, this problem is because of this surface problem or that surface problem, but really you have a complication due to a set of internal wounds and you need to deal with those. And in dealing with those, then the marriage heals. So it's it's just extreme wisdom to go for the healing of wounds. And if you ever pick a culture for any, excuse me, a counselor for any addiction, you want one that goes for healing of the wounds. All right, number four, this is a real bad family inheritance. And we're talking about alcoholism and it's a common Christian problem. The negative family inheritance relating to alcoholism is a predisposition to alcohol abuse or alcoholism. Uh, In my estimation, the best book from a Christian point of view on alcoholism is the one Dying for a Drink by Dr. Spickard of the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and they have an institute there at Vanderbilt for the treatment of alcoholism. And in his book, as an appendix, if I remember right, is a two-page letter that, in my estimation, is worth buying the book just to get this letter. And Dr. Spickard, who has been a guest guest on Faith and Family Radio, gave me permission to use this letter and to distribute this letter. And it's perhaps one of the most important things for families that I can convey relating to alcoholism. And with Dr. Spickard's permission, I'm going to read a letter that's on the headline of it. it says, Personal and Confidential, and it's written to a dear John. This is just a sample of the letter that Dr. Spickard sends out to family members of alcoholics in his Institute for Treatment of Alcoholism. Dear John, at the request of your grandfather, I am writing you as his physician and personal friend. All of the children, grandchildren of college age in your family will be receiving this letter, and I would appreciate hearing your thoughts on the matter. As you know, your grandfather is recovering from alcoholism. He is doing extremely well. We are all grateful that he has received treatment and is maintaining an active role in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, here comes the critical paragraph. You may be asking, what does this have to do with me? I want to alert you to the fact that heredity plays a strong role in the development of alcoholism. It is thought that the majority of our nation's 18 million alcoholics come from families with an inherited tendency. And recent medical research has supplied compelling evidence for this claim. In one patient subgroup study, sons of alcoholic fathers adopted at birth 
had a 9-to-1 chance of developing an alcoholic addiction over children adopted at birth from non-alcoholic fathers. And this is where the adoption at birth, it can't be the social, psychological environment of the family. Uh, They were taken out of family, adopted at birth, and yet if the father was an alcoholic, nine to one chance of developing an alcoholic addiction over children adopted at birth from non-alcoholic fathers. The transmission from mother to daughter stood at three to one. These extraordinary statistics are supported by the personal experience of alcoholism counselors and at any meeting of Alcoholic Anonymous. It's likely that between 60 to 80 percent of those present have relatives, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, who are alcoholics. He goes on, I am writing this letter to inform you that like your brothers, sisters, and cousins, you may have an inherited tendency towards addiction. Drinking alcoholic beverages is likely to be hazardous to your health, and repeated heavy drinking may lead you unawares into alcoholism. I trust that you will take this warning seriously and that you will make an appropriate decision regarding your own drinking habits. If you have any questions or would like further information, please feel free to write or call. We love you very much and desire for you happy and productive lives. You come from a distinguished family, and I'm certain that you will make a unique contribution with your life. Sincerely, Dr. Anderson Spickard, Professor of Medicine, Vanderbilt Institute for Treatment of Alcoholism. Now, if any of you listening to me, that complete letter is available. Just contact us here at the Family Life Center. You can contact us by writing askthehost at gmail.com. You're listening to episode 323 of Faith and Family Radio. And just say, I want the family letter on alcoholism, and we'll get you a PDF of that letter from Dr. Spickard. So there is something to the genetic inheritance, and there's actually research since Dr. Spickard wrote that letter as to why, what's going on in the genes. It's a little bit above my uh, ability to understand and comprehend other than it does run families. And if you have a family with alcoholism, You might want to abstain totally, uh, not out of a legal requirement or a moral requirement, but simply wisdom because you basically have a handicap that maybe others don't have, or you control your drinking, and if it's not controlled, your wife or your children or your close friends or your relatives say, hey, uh, Steve or whatever your name is, Betty, Fred, John, or whatever, you know, you're drinking too much. You shouldn't probably just drink too much. You should probably stop, okay, and reread this letter and make a wise uh, decision. Now, the last thing I want to mention on this topic is uh, something that we should consider. St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and remember, 
these early letters, these epistles that we read in the New Testament, they were written to people who in large measure were pagans not too too long before receiving this type of, of teaching and counsel. So, you know, there is a whole lot of drinking going on with people who, before they converted to the Catholic faith in the early church. And this is what St. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And I think it's very interesting combination of things in this verse. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I have a hypothesis. It's just like the underlying problems giving rise to addictions and the genetic aspect. We were made to have a certain joy and peace and fulfillment that comes from the Holy Spirit as children of God. And so Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, uh, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he didn't say you can't drink wine because he told Timothy to mix a little water with his wine and whatever. But he says, don't get drunk, because if you're getting drunk, you're trying to get something out of wine that isn't there. You're trying to get some type of fulfillment for your life that isn't there. You're trying to find some type of joy that you're not going to get. And it's very interesting when the Holy Spirit fell in a very powerful way on the early church in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell, the bystanders who didn't get the Holy Spirit were looking at the members of the early church and said, these guys are drunk. And St. Peter, in his first sermon of the church, stood up and says, no, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early to be drunk. No, they've received the Holy Spirit. And so often what we try to get, and it could be through gambling, it could be through workaholism or some other kind of behavior or acquisition of this, um, we try to find it in some place other than in God. And, and the key to finding this moral balance with alcohol and so many other things in life come from an appropriation of the Holy Spirit, which isn't earned. It's by grace we have been saved through faith, it says in Ephesians, and not of your own. It is the gift of God. It's something that's given to us by grace. And if we learn to rest on Christ's promises by grace, not because we've kept a checklist, then we have the ability to receive the Holy Spirit, to live the life he's commanded us to live, and have the balance that we all want in our lives. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 323 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.